Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Wagner. Hope everybody out there is having a wonderful day whenever this finds you um, an opportunity to embrace the challenge of growth. Today, we talk to John David Latta, who is uh, an author, a teacher, a former founder, CEO of a multi-million dollar company, and a mystic. He talks about how the spiritual and the that kind of searching created transformation in his life. And we we dig into that a little bit. I think it's a really fascinating conversation I got to have here today and and to be able to think about some of the bigger questions to help frame some of the smaller ones right to to move away from worry and anxiety and doubt and and this conversation isn't about a specific spiritual faith-based approach to it right it's about connecting to the spiritual more generally in some ways and like and what does that mean mostly it means to be seeking something that we can trust that we we rely on and you know in some traditions that's called faith here he talks about just moving to a more trusting place to trusting his intuition to trusting his relationships to trusting his dreams that's a very interesting part of this conversation. And so I, I would challenge you to think about how, uh, and we've, we've talked about this before, but I challenge you to think about how the big picture informs your day-to-day actions, right? I, one of the things we talk about with groups a lot is this idea of who you are versus what you want to do and to continue to set our goals and our hopes and desires around the idea of who we want to be rather than defining our lives around what we want to do. I think this conversation with John is very much about who you want to be. And he, you know, I, I love, we get into conversations about masculine and rational and all of the things that, that places I struggle being able to talk about love more freely, being able to talk about, you know, sitting in discomfort more freely, all things that help us grow and get better in everything we do. It's just around a slightly different conversation and topic. I am a searcher. As I've said before, I am curious. This conversation piques that curiosity. It, it, it turns that dial for me. I hope it does for you as well, John David Latta. Here we go. John Latta Latta. Sorry, I listened to a couple of podcasts, but I never remember how to say it. Would you introduce yourself for us and, and yeah. welcome it's to the podcast, John, I should say. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jamie. It's John David Latta, L-A-T-T-A. Okay, awesome. And you self-identify as mystic author, entrepreneur, a lot of things right. that I think we you know, most of us want to have an identity, right? One sort of thing that we can connect to. You have multiple. How did you come to to finding these various sort of ways to identify yourself? Well, and I think what for are a they? Long time uh, entrepreneur, own my own company for the last thirty years. Uh, it's a big multi million dollar chemical company. We actually made a bunch of. Um, um, uh, biodegradable, non-toxic cleaning products and pet products sold in retail stores all across the U.S. So we were calling on like Target and Walmart and Home Depot and all the big retailers. That was my business for odd years. So that was the entrepreneur part of me. And then, um, boy, I kissed the ground all the time. Somehow I managed to sell my company three months before COVID hit. And thank God for that, because the new company that bought everything the last two or three years has just been horrifically difficult with supply chain issues and things like that. So Got really lucky. And then so I found myself kind of retired and kind of laying low during COVID. So I did what a lot of people did. I wrote a book and something I've been intending to do. And so there's the author part. And 
big part of my journey has been stomach stomaching vulnerability, being authentic. It's not been easy, but that's the path I'm going down. That's a lot of the book is um, putting that vulnerable, authentic story out there. Uh, the teacher aspect, um, I've been literally in management in some capacity since I was 18 years old. So I'm used to leading people. I'm used to bossing people around. I, I have to keep reminding myself not to boss my wife around because I get in trouble. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> So I'm kind Absolutely. of just used to that. And then the mystic part, I kind I, of- I'm gonna, let, me, let me dive in here for a second. You yeah. said something really interesting. I work with a lot of leaders and you did not identify as leader. You identified with teacher. I think that's such an amazing sort of perspective. You said management, leadership, bossing people around. And in that, you said, the re I think the reminder for you is teacher, right? I want to be a teacher in those roles. Can you speak to that a little bit? And then we can continue on with, with how you identify with Mystic. Yeah, so anybody in management uh, is out there trying to accomplish goals. I mean, there's, there's strategy, there's goals. It's, you know, set the goal, attain the goal, create the strategy, refine the strategy, attain the goal. I don't think that's the, the teacher. And so I, I want to say, because I'm 63 years old now, I try to step into what I would call elderhood or wisdom. And uh, that's that teaching is sort of a universal nature. And uh, I'm still learning. It's There's no pressure on the teacher to make people be a certain way. When you're running a company and, and an organization, man, there are goals and you've got to hit them. You know, there's strategy. You've got to do it. Uh, you know, you played football, you understand. I mean, <laughs> the whole thing is, you know, planning strategy, you know, it's like a giant chess match on the field, but teaching's different deal. And, uh, and I find I, I, um, I fit into it quite naturally. And it's nice in a way I have to remind myself, no pressure, teach as best you can. People will take it on or receive it in a way that they can. And um, it's just not the same. So teacher and leader, in my opinion, are are in general very different. Actually, it might be say more accurate to say teacher and manager are different. Leader sometimes is the guy yeah. who's got the vision. He's not the one actually in the trenches doing everything. Yeah. No, that's that's really insightful. I just think that this dichotomy, this thing, like we want leaders to be managers. We want leaders to be teachers. We want leaders to be strategists. We want leaders to be all of these things. And I think it's really important to be able to identify with, with all of the pieces of that, especially when I go and talk to young people about that, they see leader as power, role, position, whatever it might be. When in reality, it's, it's a lot of humility. It's a lot of like, okay, we, we are held accountable to a standard and I have to teach this. Like, I just thought the way that you, you spoke to it was so meaningful because not everybody's going to identify with the leader role with a teacher subcategory, right? You know, like there, there is a piece of that that has to acknowledge that in that role, we are also teaching. And then you talk about a teacher being someone like, eh, no pressure really, you know, which is, which is a really powerful set of, it's a really powerful mindset, right? As the teacher, as a leader, I have to expect this out of you, but as the teacher, I need to foster that growth and that you'll do it kind of in your own time. Yeah. I, and, uh, you know, it's, there might be teacher like math teacher, fourth grade math teacher, and that even that math teacher is held to a certain standard Are the kids passing or not, you know, how are they passing relative to other classes or other school districts? But what I would call the realm of, um, spiritual teaching, which I would call just imparting universal wisdom. I, I think the pressure's off and, you know, I can't tell you it's happened to me. It's happened to others. You teach something and it doesn't land. And that person six months later, or 10 years later, suddenly goes, Oh, I get it. And so I think yeah. that for spiritual teachers, the pressure's off. I think it should be off. They should not force themselves onto other people. They're going to get it when they get it. It might be in a minute. It might be in 10 years. Well, and I, like, I live in the, the leader too in a company. I think the leader, the way I see it. Um, so I talked to some business experts. He said the CEO's role really is to be the visionary. And the CEO needs to every minute of every day say, whose job am I doing now? And who can I delegate it to? I need to free myself up for vision. 
uh, or even inspiration. <clears throat> and so yeah. then let the management team and all the people underneath it execute or try to achieve the vision. Man, that is, that is a hard, hard task. Like just to give the hands-offness of that, right? Because so many of us that get put into leadership positions have been so successful at the execution, right? The vision wasn't necessarily the strength that was the executing. And so to be uh, humble is, is a good word in this place, but like to say that somebody else can do it as well or better than you, if you give them the resources and the time, because your value is elsewhere right now. I, I think that's, that's so important. And I, and I think about it from this, the, you know, like I live in farm country. So planting seeds is just like, it's everything, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, yeah. you don't, that's the heavy work, right? Is planting the seeds and then the harvest comes much, much later when when all of the rest of the work is mostly done by nature, right? Is done yeah. by the the forces around you. Yep, you gotta tend to it. You gotta, you know, like put pesticides on and herbicide, whatever, like all the stuff that you have to do. But those are like small concentrated bursts of energy. The vast majority of the underlying work is being done by someone or something else. I think that's just a really powerful metaphor for life. You know, like we want, we want to identify with what our charges are doing and that's, that somehow creates some value for us or that it reflects on who we are. I love that you're like, just take the pressure off. It doesn't matter because the seed will will germ and take shape in its own time. I love that. Yeah, those really good analogies. I, uh, you reminded me, I read that Phil Knight book, Shoe Dog. I don't know if you Absolutely. read that. Absolutely. Yeah, and the thing sure. that blew me away about him is how many times they were up a creek and things just look like hell and he kind of just slept on it <laughs> and his team would fix the problem, you know? And, you know, I do think, and I was guilty of this too, um, the only way to grow a large organization is you have to just keep training and delegating and training and delegating and handing it off and trusting the other people. But like you said, a lot of people, you know, they get a company going, they're one or two employees, they're used to doing it all themselves, but they can't get to the next level because they don't know, they don't know how to trust, train, delegate. And he just like, oh my God, he just go to bed at night and you wake up and his team and fixed it in the morning. It's like, Jesus, you know, he fixed things by not doing anything. <laughs> But that's how you get to be the leader of a really, you know, um, a couple of guys, uh, what's his name, Sir Richard Branson, he's England's most successful entrepreneur, billionaire, you know, he never got past ninth grade, superb athlete, had some freak injury where he couldn't even be an athlete anymore, but he was horribly dyslexic. And um, so he learned two things at a really young age, how to ask other people for help and uh, interestingly, uh, he had a highly developed sense of intuition because his brain didn't work the way other people's brains did. And so he said he got to the point where he started his own companies and he could look at somebody and he goes, I would know in 30 seconds if that was the right person to hire. I didn't have to read their resume and check them all out. I just knew. And uh, so, uh, but he's, he's the perfect personality for and you know a lot of people have talked about uh people with add people with dyslexia there's a disproportionate number of them that are ceos and you would think how could that be yeah they know how to hand things off to other people they've been doing it their whole life you know pretty amazing <clears throat> no doubt no doubt i you you spoke to intuition let's get back on on the line we were starting about, I think when I think about mysticism or spirituality, I think about it being a, the capacity to trust that intuition that you're talking about in some ways. How do you identify with that? How did you get there? And then I want to talk about something you just mentioned, like up a creek business wise, because that's where you found yourself a while back and maybe led to some of this story. So, so take us through that a little bit. Well, so um, without knowing it at the time, so my journey really began like so many people <laughs> with pain and suffering. In a short period of time, I was living a relatively charmed life, hardworking guys, one of those skinny, athletic, competitive guys that was really good at everything, but maybe not quite college level in any one sport, but I was good at everything. And, um, and then everything in my life went wrong. My wife got cancer, uh, completely came out of left field. She'd been healthy and uh, they ended up removing her thyroid gland. And so she had to take a pill every day for the rest of her life just to live. And she started changing. She started reading books on God and the meaning of life. You know, she was kind of having a whole little life review, even though she was now only in her 30s. 
And then about that same time, I left my secure job, started my own company and dug myself into the hole. <laughs> You're going to laugh. I was $650,000 in debt. And, and then in the middle of that, uh, my wife suddenly decides she wants a whole new life and leaves and says, you're the better parent. See you later. Goodbye. And suddenly I've got custody of my two kids, nine and 11, 650,000 in debt. I'm hanging by a thread every single day, every single moment. And then, and then in the middle of all that, because I didn't consider myself at that age, a religious or a spiritual person, I was suddenly terrified of death. And I'd never thought about death. I never confronted death. I never thought about what happens when I die. And while I said I was raised Catholic, you know, off the air, it was more like part-time Catholic. For sure. So I didn't know who to talk to. I wouldn't even, I don't think I would have been brave enough to talk to anybody about it. So uh, in the middle of it all, uh, everything fell apart. And so I Mm -hmm. broke down and went to my first ever spiritual retreat with a very non-guru type guy who literally just taught heart-centered meditation. And, uh, and I trusted the guy because the author, Michael Crichton, who I really liked, who had written a bunch of best-selling novels and movies and TV shows, he had had kind of a meltdown and he went to see the same guy 20 years earlier. So I was like, oh my God, this guy's still around, so I'm gonna go. And so um, coming back to your question about the intuition. And so what began to happen at that time in my life without knowing it, I entered a therapy process one-on-one. The therapist put me in a group, and in the blink of an eye, I was usually the only guy with 10 women and two women therapists. And so a lot of that sort of rigid, rational, competitive, left-brain side was being augmented by what I would just loosely call my feminine side, or you might even call my spiritual side. To me, it's kind of the same thing. I just didn't see it at the time. And... So they started teaching me things that, you know, uh, you know, John, try being instead of doing. What the hell does that mean? You know, John, try listening instead of <laughs> always telling people what to do. Well, I'm not very good at that. You know, can you just sit and appreciate somebody? Uh, can you just hold them in compassion? Can you actually ask for help? <laughs> All the things people might associate with feminine or maybe right brain, I was being plunged into and kicking and screaming the whole way. But along the way, I became in touch with intuition. And, and, I, and I, I don't think I ever knew that I was intuitive. Or if I was, I didn't know it. And so little things started happening. Little messages started coming. And around the time, I remember reading a quote from Albert Einstein that kind of encouraged me on the journey. And he said, intuition is the gift and rationality, I think, or logic is its faithful servant. But we've elevated the servant and forgotten the gift. And so, um, and I think what encouraged it for me was that same retreat I went to, the teacher really uh, wanted people to pay attention to their dreams. And so there was a lot of emphasis placed on ask for dreams, write down your dreams, pay attention to dreams, talk about your dreams. And it started kind of slow. And I admit it was like reading Chinese. I would see people interpret my dreams. I'm like, how the hell did you come up with that conclusion? I, you know, but then I started to learn that dreams actually require an intuitive touch and they're kind of more symbolic rather than they are literal. And, and I would say over the course of the next couple of years, that also sort of cracked open that sort of intuitive side. And, and I love it. I, I can actually feel sometimes where my intuition is like this quiet, subtle, quick voice. And my mind is really loud and kind of driven by its habits. Like, no fucking, excuse my French, no way, you know? No, I said, right. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm kind of, you know, and I admit I'm drawn to spiritual teachers that struggle with this as well. I know there's a guy I love, Tom Kenyon, that just like, he is so cracked wide open, but he loves to say, yeah, and I still get marooned on the island of logic a lot of time. <laughs> and For so, sure. uh, I... sorry, that's how no. the intuition began. I think there's something so important in doing the work of like removing the logical self in some ways. I think about Daniel Kahn, you know, in my work, it's mindset stuff. So I think about Daniel Kahneman and heuristics and habits and the subconscious mind and the way that our, that our conscious brain just slows us down in some ways. Right. So like we have this intuition that is quick and like it's trained through eons of evolution and all this stuff, right? Where, where we can trust our bodies and our instincts in really powerful ways. And then it's been, you know, like I'm 37. So like, okay, for 37 years, that 
that's been trained in its own way, right? Its own nature driven, the stuff around you sort of way. And so you are really attuned to the people and places and things around you. Like trust that that fast brain is really powerful. Yeah. And for me personally, especially like I'm a very logic reason, rational person. Like I want to have an answer that was supported by research or, you know, like I want to get in the way of that intuition, not just be able to say, okay, I feel that this thing is right. Let's, let's trigger on that and move towards that. So how did you get to this place where you started to trust that intuition? You, you talked about kind of unlocking that or removing that. What were there some, some points on the journey that you can look back to and say, or was it just time? Was it just doing the work over a consistent period of time? I'm very curious about that because I think a lot of people, you know, have an, kind of an interwoven sort of experience where there are these high points and yet it was a long period of work. Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes to both. Yes, it took a long time. Yes, I would be in moments of great trust and then it would slip away for a while. But I think the thing that um, probably uh, allowed the trust to grow was um, paying attention to my dreams, paying attention to my intuition it's hard to really put into words. And so what felt like, and I'm happy with all these terms, it feels like God speaking to me, or it feels like an angel speaking to me, or my higher wisdom speaking to me. But it kept showing up over and over and over again. And sometimes in really humorous ways, like, oh, come on, John, you don't need to freak out about this. And um, I have been dragged through the mud seriously twice in my life. And I, I kind of have this feeling like, okay, I, I actually don't think I need to go there again, but if you do, I'll be okay. I know I'll be okay. And so um, I, you know, I think there's value in, in being dragged through the mud and embracing the journey through the mud that creates a sort of, I'm not sure I call it fearlessness, but it does create a sense of trust. And um, one of the, the biggest ones for you, so remember in the beginning, I said I had this horrible fear of death. Uh, three years later, I joined another year-round spiritual study group, and the teacher says, for the month of November, we're going to greet the mystery of death. And he goes, if I want you to prepare for your own death, if you don't have a will, make a will. If you need to make amends to somebody, make amends to them. If there's something needs to be said, say it. And then he goes, I want you to meditate on death, pray on death, read books on death, listen to music on death. Well, this was my greatest fear. I, in my mind, death was like, when the body's it, that's it, it's over. And I couldn't wrap my mind around forever or oblivion. It sounded terrifying to me. And, um, mm -hmm. and all of these dreams came through, beautiful visions. You know, I remember I have a couple chapters in my book about it. And the first one is literally a voice that says, before you know about death, first you need to know about life. And, uh, and, you'll appreciate this from the Christian background. This was the dream I had was I saw Jesus uh, fused like a Siamese twin from the waist down to Hercules. And, and Hercules is all brawn and sweat and he's struggling to get away from Jesus who's standing like a pole, like really solid, you know? And, and, it's, and, and then he suddenly turns around and they look at each other and they realize they're brothers and, and, they're, and they embrace. And so my interpretation of that was there is this sort of divine self in all of us, you might call the soul. And there's the very human ego self, you might call it, which in the dream was represented by Hercules. <laughs> and sure. a lot of times Hercules doesn't know he's got a divine self. He doesn't know he's connected to any of that. So he's struggling. He's working hard. It's all by himself. And so that was the first dream. And then the very next thing, it's like, okay, now we're going to teach about the mystery of death. And I know this sounds bizarre, but I'll go through it as quick as I can. I'm walking through this farmer's field. Uh, it's like an October night. You'd appreciate this in Minnesota. And the field's all been laid to bed for the winter, right? It's all been harvested. And it's cold outside. But there's a big 10-foot tall forbidding-looking scarecrow and a full moon, like a harvest moon low on the horizon. And the scarecrow is kind of like, I dare you to keep coming. I'm like, that's okay. I'm not afraid. And I move forward. And as soon as I do... I fuse with the moon. We turn into a river of liquid mercury that's silvery, you know, it's kind of a weird liquid. We run across the surface of the earth and we drip off as if the earth was flat. 
into infinite darkness. And I sat there for a long time. And then poof, I see this giant golden grid of light surrounding Earth. But that grid of light is made of people. It looks like millions of skydivers holding each other by the wrists and the hands. Yeah. And, and I so now I'm both individual and yet a part of the grid. And I'm there in service to others. Like I could literally people feel people on earth praying or asking for help. And so I, I went, okay, so this is what happens when you die. You become of something, part of something greater, but in a way you're still of service. You know what I mean? You're just not embodied anymore. And so when those things start to happen, you know, enough, I use the word trust. I just like, you know, I think I'm going to be okay. I don't think I need to be afraid of death. And not only that, if I'm sincere, I have a lot of answers within me. I just have to be sincere and clear about what I'm asking about, and the answers will be there. That's been my journey into what I would call trust. Uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing sort of concept to think about, you know, and like as you talk about the teachers, like we're going to spend a month focusing on death. I think, right, anything you focus on grows, right? Anything you yeah. pay attention to, it expands in your life, and so there's a world where that is absolutely terrifying right i'm already mortified <laughs> petrified by this idea of end right and now you're going to ask me to focus on it well it grew in a way that was it was supposed to grow for you it, was, it grew in a way that was natural to you to, to find out to look through and experience some answers and i, I would just encourage anybody that's that's seeking searching maybe not death that might not be the thing that you're fearful of or the thing that's got you stuck or the thing that you're searching actually go towards it right yeah. spend like that that's the metaphor i hear in the dream right the scarecrow says you don't want to come near me yeah. right but going towards it actually reveals some answers because it 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 removes some of the power of it it removes some of the you know like it's a bully it, it's in some ways it's you yeah, have I to confront totally it. Nailed it yeah that's exactly what i would tell people it's like okay embracing your fear that might be a little difficult but stop running from it and just turn yeah. around and face it and, and greet it, embrace it on your own time in your own way. But I think running from it just turns it into a demon, whatever it is for you, just turn around yeah. and face it. It's like, I, I read some other books, some really amazing uh, people that have shared dreams about that various thing. Even something as simple as, uh, there was a gal, Judith Orloff, who wrote a book called Second Sight and she was having this um, battle with a business partner but they both were refusing to confront the issue, but they both were seething behind closed doors. They were angry. She had this dream where this forest fire is about to consume her and she's running from it. And this voice says, you know, if you face the fire, it won't hurt you. And she turns around, faces it, and just shrinks down. And she knew I need to go talk to this guy honestly about what's going on. I'm not gonna pretend things are fine, but run around and hate him behind closed doors. And, and it was beautiful, you know? And yeah. so, um, yeah, I encourage people all the time, don't run away anymore to the degree you can turn around and, and face it. Well, and, and like, so I'm a wrestling coach. I was a wrestler for a long time, like pressure with pressure, right? If you, yeah. if you lean away from pressure, you're going to get run over, right? <laughs> if you apply pressure back, you're going to hold that pressure off. Right. And so you want to be taking pressure into pressure. And again, I, listeners out there, whatever it is that's applying pressure in your life, give some pressure back and it's going to hold up in a different way. It's not going to be this thing we have to run from because like you say, it can be just crippling, right? This crippling fear that you speak to it. it it's, it's incredible that you can overcome it. I, you were talking about your dad's story and like, I, I felt the weight of it because I had been through it. Right. And then I, I kind of just took a deep breath and I was like, actually, right. I could, I could feel the phone calls. I could feel the letters, right. Because I had been through there. And then I said, that's not my life anymore. Right. Like in this conversation, I felt that why, because I went towards that struggle rather than continuing to run from it. I'm, I'm curious. I, I have young children. You said you were left in some ways with a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old as you were battling through and figuring this stuff out. How, how are you teaching this to the people that you value most? Because that is such a, it's such an interesting question to me because we have small circles, we have big circles, we have intimates, right? Like, how do you get this to those intimate people 
in a way that is is loving and uh, and respectful enough to say you got to find this for yourself because I came to it in my way also. Um, well, I can tell you, I screwed it up a lot, Jamie. <laughs> And I think in the early days, I was kind of so enthusiastic about what I was going through that I was a little too, uh, I I was too open and shared too much with people. And so since then, I don't always do it very well. I listen to my intuition. It's like every person is different. Every group is different. You know, um, you know, I wrote a book I'm really proud of. I'm really happy with tons of people just love it. Some just revere it. My family, like, why did you write that book? And so I just have to honor, like, they don't like it. Great. And, you know, my mother is wedded to a very rigid Christian path. My father, more loosey goosey, but neither one of them are what I would call spiritual and they don't have mystical experiences. And so I just have to learn it's important to wait for somebody else to open the door before I walk through. And, um, and I'm way better at it today than I was 10 or 20 years ago. And uh, so that's what I would suggest is just use your intuition. Like, you will just know, like, this is the time to share something with somebody. You know, I, there are tons of Christians that have big conversion experiences. And, and my mother went through one and she was so enthusiastic. Well, you've seen it doesn't always land very well. Like, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Nah, I don't want to talk about yeah. Jesus. <laughs> And you're, yeah. you know, you're so, uh, you're lit up. And uh, so, yeah. um, you know, my wife and I even talk about it. It's like, she's a coach and she loves to coach and she's a coach by nature, but you know, she's had to learn. I'm going to coach the people that come to me that are paying me. I don't have to coach the whole world. They might not be interested yeah. or not be the right time for my coaching. You know what I mean? So uh, that's how I, I think- answer it. You, you spoke to elderhood, and I think that really comes with some of that that wisdom uh, time kind of equation to say, I don't have to serve everybody today. I will get the chance to serve in due time to those that most need it. It's That is a lesson I am I'm currently learning and, and failing at and growing through. Your book is called The Synchronicity of Love. I I I love this title because I am a person that believes deeply in this idea of community mm-hmm. and that we are we are founded, created, made, formed, whatever, to be in community and in relationship with other people. I am not great at being loved, right? I, I feel like I give love relatively well. I don't say the word terribly often because I struggle with the rational male, masculine, rigid, all that stuff too. I think, I think my football experience and any, you know, I have a lot of peers that I played with. We, we said, I love you. We said, I love you to other men. We gave each other hugs. That was the thing that we did because our leaders did that, right? They showed us that it was okay. And it was a safe place to do that. It's weird in my personal life beyond those men in a lot of ways, I struggle to accept being loved, right? I, I, I feel like I have to earn it. I feel like I have to go and seek out people's like approval of me rather than be like just me. And that those people that care about that version of me are, are who matter most. And that when we meet, there will be synchronicity, right? There will be this opportunity to come together and to be, Speak to me, teach me, grow me in this way, if you can. I, I'm I'm curious because yeah. this is certainly a struggle for me. I, I understand it from a spiritual perspective, the value and the depth and the necessity of it in a practical way. I struggle at it. So I'm curious. Uh, well, my struggle too, Jamie. So uh, I got thrown in that group, all those women, and they knew exactly what my struggles were. I wasn't going to admit it to them. And they see things like, I want you to ask us for nurturing. You're like, are you freaking kidding me? You know, I want you to ask us. <laughs> yep, help. I want you to ask us to be loved. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like, it was like, the, I just yeah. want to get the hell out of there. And so, but something that for them was not all of them was kind of natural and easy. Oh God, it was so hard. And um, so it's come slowly. Um, but I think, you know, um, 
I think it can begin using a Christian context. So I, I focus on heart-centered meditation. But, you know, a lot of those pictures you sure. see of Jesus and Mary with the heart of flame, to me, it's the same thing. You're hanging out in what I would call unconditional love. Some people might call God's love. And if you hang out there long enough, it's kind of like a cloth that starts to take on some dye. And, um, and the other thing is, think about you, Jamie, how much you like to help people, right? I'm assuming you do. Community, coaching, sure. you love to help people. Think about how much you're helping others when you let them help you. That's the thing that got me over the crux. It's like, I love to help people. I love to be a healer. I love to be a teacher. I love to, I love being a dad. You know, I love being a husband. Well, let them do that for you too. And so I think that's what got me over the hurdle. Um, and so my, uh, where I came up with the title was the more I loved others unconditionally, not always easy, but I try try to have compassion for others and not always easy, but I try. And the more I tried to let others love me and have compassion for me really hard, the more I tried to, you might even say be love, the more these sort of synchronistic people call them coincidences, other people call them miracles, the more these amazing things started to happen. And so that's what I wanted people to get from the book. You know, um, I think if I were to sum up Jesus, He's love. He's a whole lot of different things. He's love. He's wisdom. He's mercy. He's compassion. He's a healer. I mean, he's, he's God, right? And, um, but the more you hang out in unconditional love and set the judgmental mind aside, I don't think it's bad. I think the sermon's a great thing, but don't live there all the time. Spend a little more time in love. Watch how things start to happen. You know, it's just, and I remember I had that very logical mind, like, wow, what are the chances of that? And then something happens again, like, oh my God, what are the chances <laughs> of that? You know? And I, you know, you yeah. probably had experiences like that. They're amazing when they happen. And so for that's sure. what I want to tell people, whatever that looks like for you, love others to the degree you can let others love you, hang out in love, hang out in compassion and watch if more and more miracles don't start to happen in your life. I think that's, that's particularly true for my like bent on who I like to help, right? This, this yeah. younger person that is maybe driven, right? That is, that has a motivating sort of desire to be great or to seek excellence or to whatever it is. Judgment is the first barrier to all of it because so much judgment is placed on, did you win or did you lose? Did you do this or execute this well or not? Did you, you know, and like I had a coach in, in college, Jimmy Miller, thank you very much. You are an unbelievable mentor, man. But you used to tell us, right? Ball field, bedroom, billfold, right? And it was always, that's the way that men are raised in our society. We, we, we value judge your worth based on your ability on the ball field. We then say, do you have the masculine prowess to, to find the right woman or many of them for some, for some of us men. And then it's billfold, right? How much money do you make? And are you identifying with that? And all of that is judgment oriented, yeah. right? It's always looking out to say, did I do enough? Do you judge me well? And then you start to put social media on top of that and, and the immediacy of, of judgment that is a like button or <laughs> followers or whatever it is. And we like just to sit in love and to seek being loving rather than being judgmental is, is tremendously challenging for for all of us, but I think there's a there's a, a generation of people potentially that are not hearing this message in any way because the other message of judge, look for judgment, seek out that value judgment is the is the deafening sound that they hear from everything in their life. And and I would just coaches, leaders, teachers out there, like just give, be love. I love that analogy that you use, right? It's like being a cloth that is exposed to some dye and watch how it yeah, spreads. Right. I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You start to take on that color. Right. And like the yeast working its way through the dough, you know, it's, I mean, that's a biblical parable, right? Like, so, so how do we be in some ways, like you talk about sitting in unconditional love and God's love, how do we be that 
out, right? How do we, how are we the dye, right? So that other people can dip their cloth, cloth in well, that. How have you found that yeah. in your life? Well, the first thing I would say uh, that terrified me early in my journey, but I luckily some smart, wiser people than me set me straight was there's nothing wrong with discernment. Judgment can get people in a lot of trouble, uh, but discernment's totally cool. And, um, and then uh, there's a time and a place for everything. And, but if you're that rigid, rational male that is judging all the time, it's kind of like a lonely place. And so there's a time and a place to use your discernment. I, you know, might even say use your judgment. And there's a time and a place to be in that space of love. And so what he taught me was, because I was afraid, like, you know, I like being competitive. I like being athletic. You know, I like running a company. And he's like, no, no, no. You don't have to trade one for the other. You're going to augment it because you're going to be a better listener now. You're going to be more intuitive now. You're going to get, he didn't say it, but ended up happening. you're going to get messages through dreams now. And so... Um, it sounds cliche to say, but you become more whole. And so for the last 10 years, I've been part of a men's organization called Mankind Project, a uh, worldwide organization. And in a way, it's, it's men helping men uh, in a way they used to traditionally in circles and weekends and stuff like that. And they have what they call four archetypes of the masculine. And they're trying to get all the men to adopt all of them. The first one they call the lover, and that's the part that connects, in, you know, with other people, connects with community, uh, you know, sitting in a circle and being kind of open, honest, and vulnerable with each other. Um, you know, it's where we, you know, it's kind of like guys in a bar and they're drinking and they're putting their arms around each other and they're laughing. That's that's the lover, the connection. The warrior, that's the one that gets shit done. You know, he's the one out there that's executing the plan. You know, that's the football player on the field executing the plan. The magician is the one that he, they, that I mean, this was probably the two I had to learn to embrace were the lover and the magician, kind of like the spiritual guy. It's like the guy that goes deep into the cave and goes deep within and transforms himself from the inside out and then later emerges from the cave. And the fourth one is the king. That's the leader. That's the one that's got the plan and the vision. And it's every man I've ever seen is like really strong in one or two and completely deficient in the other. And where you and I, you know, kind of raised more competitively, athletically, we might have the warrior and the king down pat, but boy, that lover and magician is still, you know, come up in second and third place. But some people are just the opposite. They got the lover, the community, the connection. They don't have any trouble loving and being loved. Uh, and they know how to go within for answers. But boy, you know, uh, having vision, creating a plan, a strategy and executing it. Oh, my God, it's so hard for them. Yeah. Something is so easy for me is really hard for others and vice versa. So coming back to your question about what I would do if you want to experience more of what I'm just going to loosely call God's love. First, ask. Just ask sincerely, like, I want to feel more of this. So as an actual tool to do it, I got through heart-centered meditation and it was just something as simple as putting my hands over my heart center and literally calling in unconditional love, compassion, healing, and harmony, and trying to just sit in that space for 20 minutes. Sometimes I'd listen to a little quiet music too. And, you know, if anybody that's new to meditation, I'll tell you, sometimes it can be hard. You know, the mind gets crazy. It's hard to sit still. But, you know, just keep calling it in. Like, I want to experience you know, love, like on the bigger scale. And I'm just going to sit here and, and ask. And I think a lot of people don't realize they can ask whatever it looks like for you. Ask God, ask your higher self. Like, I want this. And if you're sincere, it's going to happen. Uh, one of the challenging things on the journey is, uh, nobody told me about this. If you're journeying into love, sometimes the universe delivers to you all the things you don't think are worthy of love. And usually, um, I can tell you, you know, I had one teacher say, uh, one of the most projected upon people in the whole world is the president of the United States. Everybody sees him as either the angel or the devil. And there isn't a lot of in between. And so I'll pick on Donald Trump. If you think Donald Trump is evil and the devil, I guarantee he's going to show up in your dreams. And, uh, and for a lot of people, like you talked about, Loving other people's not so hard, but loving myself is freaking hard. And so uh, it, can, it sounds like, oh, of course, who doesn't want to go on the journey of love, more synchronicities, more miraculous experiences, but you're going to be confronted with a lot of 
things or people that are going to be in your face. You're like, oh, shit. Uh, I, you know, I, I love the spiritual teacher, Ram Das, And I remember his teacher grabbed him right at the beginning. And he said, Ram Das, love everybody. Oh, teacher, there's no way I could do that. Ram Das, love everybody. You know, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do that. But that became his whole path was learning to love everybody. Nah, it's, it's really good. It's really good. I don't like, there is, there is a confrontation in yeah. ourselves waiting for us. And without that confrontation, without that moment, and it doesn't even have to be a moment. It's, it's so many continual repeated opportunities to transform, right? You and yeah. I, before we, before we pressed record, you, you kind of said, I just view it as a journey of transformation. It doesn't matter how you label it, how you identify it, right? My transformation was moving from fear and doubt and worry to trust, yeah. right? What, a, what yeah. an amazing thing that is. I don't care how you get there. You got to, you have to go and confront it eventually and right if it's ramdas love everyone right that's the confrontation because there's gonna be plenty of people you don't love right and i i just think it it transcribes to whatever thing you're chasing searching right you talk about it as this opportunity to find a deeper spiritual well-being health love all this stuff. if you want excellence if you want to be great at something you're gonna to have to go and confront the parts of you that are gonna yeah. hold you back in doing that and so uh, John, I am, I'm so grateful that you, you know, were able to join and, and share your story because I think that there is, there's such value in, in being exposed to different ideas. I would say that, you know, not a lot of us are exposed to mysticism or spirituality in the way that you speak to it. And yet it's not, it's not any different than a lot of the things we do in our daily life. It's just acknowledging a different part of the path, right? It's, it's yeah. speaking to a different part of this process and, and that's really powerful to learn from. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Jamie. Love being here. Appreciate the invitation. Uh, say, say the name of your book, where we can connect with you a little bit so that if anybody does find value here today, that they can know this is where I got to go connect and, yeah. and seek out some wisdom. Oh, awesome. Thanks. Um, so my book is called The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. They're mostly true stories, 119 short stories. I wrote it that way because that's the kind of book I like to read because I sometimes have a little bit of a short attention span. I like that kind of book. You can randomly open up to read a few stories before bed. Uh, it's definitely been my journey from rigid rational male into a random accidental mystic. Um, and, uh, but I tried to keep it real. I talk about some difficulties with my company and my marriage, my daughter for a while. Uh, so I was living a very real human life as I went through some really profound spiritual experiences and transformations. Uh, you can find the book on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books were sold. Uh, my website is John David Latta, L A T T A.com. You can go there for more information about me. Uh, there are a few stories on there, more information about my book. Uh, I do one-on-one -on -one sessions that I call personal guidance sessions for people. Um, getting back into doing groups and workshops, I started that at the beginning of the year, but it was a little too soon. I think a lot of people still reticent to come out of hiding, uh, but I'm about to get back into yeah. that. Awesome. I, again, appreciate your time and your story. Your wisdom is valuable. Thank you for sharing. Be well. Uh, thank you so much, Jamie. A lot of, first of all, thanks again, John David Latta for joining us. I was so grateful for the variety of conversation that we had, not just in the episode, but in our wrap up, getting to talk and to challenge each other. And, and one of the things that he said to me is just thanks for your transparency. And I want to say the same to him. Thanks for for sharing your experience and and for growing us with that experience right i think the thing that strikes me the most right because of my experience also is that the bottom is often the beginning right when we when we think that we've bounced hard off bottom when we think that we've reached the end of our rope in some ways for him it was a dead experience wife leaves him right and it's in 
tremendous fear of death. And he had to be pushed to move towards those things, to, to face and confront those fears, to face and confront the challenge that is debt and single parentdom and, and these sort of things that, that many of us want to run from, but to apply pressure back. The bottom is not the end. It is the beginning. And there are things in here that I am struggling with, right? That I, I, I communicate that. I don't, I don't really remember my dreams, probably because I don't pay attention to them. Right? But what if I did? What if you did? What would you see? What would you hear? What would you experience? What if you paid attention to something that you weren't paying attention to? Maybe it trickles across your screen every once in a while and you're curious about it. What if you focused a spotlight on that thing? What would you learn? How would you grow? How would you get better? Who would you invite into your life? How would they change you? These are the questions that just strike me as so, so vital for our life. What things am I ignoring right now that would change me, shape me, transform me, and make me a new person, a better version of myself, to be a better parent, to be a better husband or wife, to be a better leader, to be a better coach, to be a better performer, period? I think there is a world where trust, this thing that he is talking about, is absolutely the foundation stone of elite performance. Not just trusting your performance, but trusting all of your preparation, trusting all of your coaching, trusting all of your life experience. It is the thing that unlocks the rest of it. For me as an athlete, it looked like trusting my film study, trusting my preparation, trusting because I, I didn't identify with the elite athlete. I identified with this reality that I could control my circumstances by the things that I did. And then I trusted our coach's plan. I trusted our leadership, those sort of things. Like when we take out our personal need for comfort based on our control of the circumstance, and we seed control out by giving trust to other people and other circumstances, we unlock the capacity to be the best versions of ourselves as well. In reflecting on this conversation, that's what I, I felt like was the most important part for me. I hope that that brings value to your life as well. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks for growing us, making us better also. If you have any feedback, feel free to reach out. If you have any questions, anything I can help with, reach out. Check out John David's book, The Synchronicity of Love. Thanks again to him for joining us and challenging us. And as always, live eyes up.